0: wlcc brandon
1: faith talk tampa online at letstalkfaith.com or listen on tune in and odyssey
0: the following is sponsored by verse by verse ministries and is pre-recorded
1: the reason life was so hard for paul the reason that he was in prison the reason why he suffered so much is because he was doing it for the church that's reason number one he suffered for the church now let's set the context In the verses just before verse 24, Paul has explained to the Colossians about the doctrine of reconciliation. God has brought us to him. There's been peace with him. We looked at that last week. And then Paul closed that subject by stating that he was the one who proclaimed this message of reconciliation. Notice verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. And watch this. Which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, meaning the whole Roman Empire, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister, then immediately goes into verse 24 by saying, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In other words, yes, I am a minister of reconciliation. God has given me that ministry. I travel all around the Roman Empire telling people about Christ, but I'm not doing that now. He says in verse 24, now, that's how he begins verse 24, now, because at this present moment... I'm suffering in jail for your sake, and I'm rejoicing in it. Do you see what he's saying? Yes, I'm a minister of reconciliation, and yes, I travel around telling people how to be reconciled to God, but now at this moment I'm not doing it. I'm in jail, and I'm in jail for your sake, and I rejoice.
2: Welcome to Verse by Verse and our study in Colossians chapter 1. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, will be with us very shortly to start today's session. He will, as he often does, have some probing questions to ask. Here are some examples. Do you have the same attitude that Paul did for the church? That's a good one. Or are you willing to suffer like Paul did for the church? Ouch. Uh, What is your relationship with your church? What is your relationship with the body of Christ? Well, some of those are toughies. And do I have the same attitude Paul has for the church? I'd suggest we buckle up for today's broadcast. We're in for some great teaching, and hopefully there will be some things that we learn from this that we will be anxious to apply to our lives. Here now is Pastor Steve
1: Kreloff. I invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. We're looking at chapter 1, beginning at verse 24, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. And it was my intention to finish this chapter this week, but I got so involved in the passage and so caught up with it, we're only going to look at the first two verses, but I want you to see the whole picture. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory. And we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Imagine if the Apostle Paul had to go job hunting in today's world. Imagine that. What might his resume say? Have you ever thought about that? Probably not. It's not the kind of thing you think about. However, one person did, and they put together They composed what they thought Paul's resume might say. Here's what they said. This is like a letter from Paul to a pulpit committee. Gentlemen, understanding that your pulpit is vacant, I should like to submit my application. I am generally considered to be a good preacher. I have been a leader in most of the places I have served. I have also found time to do some writing on the side. I'm over 50 years of age, and while my health is not the best, I still manage to get enough work done so as to please my parish. As for my references, I am somewhat handicapped. I have never preached in any place for more than three years, and the churches I have preached in have generally been pretty small, even though they were located in rather large cities. In some places, I had to leave because my ministry caused riots and disturbances. Even where I stayed, I did not get along too well with other religious leaders in town, which may influence the kind of references these places will send you. I have also been threatened several times and even physically attacked. Three or four times I have gone to jail for witnessing to my convictions. Still, I feel sure I can bring vitality to your church, even though I am not particularly good at keeping records. I have to admit, I don't even remember all those whom I have baptized. However, if you can use me, I should be pleased to be considered. And the letter is signed, Paul. Now, that may be amusing to us and and even humorous, but I want you to know that you can be certain that those who were the opponents of the Apostle Paul did use all of Paul's troubles as a weapon against the truth of the gospel. The trouble, the riots, the fact that he was in prison, the fact that he didn't get along with other religious leaders and things like that. After all, the thought is this, if you can discredit the messenger, then certainly you would discredit the message. Now I want you to think with me for a moment. If you were a false teacher at Colossae, and you understand that's the background of this letter, or false teachers influencing this church, if you were a false teacher at Colossae trying to influence this church for your strange teaching, how could you and how would you discredit the Apostle Paul? I think it would go something like this. You would say to the church, if Paul's message is so wonderful... And if this Jesus he preaches is really the God of the universe, as he says he is, then what's Paul doing in prison? What's he doing in Rome, locked up under house arrest? And I remind you that that's exactly where Paul was. He was writing this letter from jail under house arrest in the city of Rome, and he was arrested there and kept under chains while he awaited his trial before Caesar. He wrote a number of letters from this place in Rome, this house arrest. That's how the book of Acts ends. And the letters that he wrote, we call the prison epistles, of which Colossians is one of them. And while he was in prison, word reached him that there were false teachers at Colossae Influencing this church, attacking the very person and work of Jesus Christ and apparently attacking the person and work of the Apostle Paul. How do we know that? Because this passage seems to lend itself to that. He's defending himself. He's defending his ministry. And whenever Paul in the New Testament defends his ministry, it's always because there's been an attack on his ministry. Now, the attack must have come in the form of asking the Colossians to explain, as I said before, how if Paul really serves such a supernatural Christ, how could he be suffering in a Roman jail? I mean, if this Christ is the great God of the universe and is so wonderful, then how would he let Paul just be in jail? Now, I think that's a valid question. And I think it's one that needs to be answered. And I don't think the Colossians knew how to answer it. And the reason I say that is because at the close of chapter one, and this is the whole passage at the close of chapter one, the verses that we just read, Paul answers this question for them. He explains to them lest they begin to lose confidence in his credibility. He explains to them why he is in jail. And he really defends his ministry. Now, he opened up this letter in chapter 1, verse 1, by saying he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. But now he defends his apostolic authority. Now he defends his ministry. And watch this. Here's how he defends it. By explaining that everything he was going through was for the sake of God's people. It wasn't because his theology was defective. It wasn't because he served a Christ who wasn't supernatural. It wasn't because God had lost control of things. It was for the sake of the church, for the sake of God's people. And in this passage, Paul gives three reasons why life was so hard for him. And we're going to look at two of them. We're going to break off at verse 25 because I think this passage is so filled with truth that you need to see it, and we don't want to cover it in a very surface manner. Now, as we go through these reasons, you need to be asking yourself, do I have the same attitude that Paul did for the church? Am I willing to suffer like Paul did for the church? What is your relationship with this church? What is your relationship with the local church? What is your relationship with the body of Christ? Where do you fit in? Because you need to compare your attitude towards Paul's. And so let's begin by seeing the first reason why Paul suffered and why Paul had such a hard life. It wasn't, as I said, because his ministry was defective. Number one, It's because he suffered for the church. The reason life was so hard for Paul, the reason that he was in prison, the reason why he suffered so much is because he was doing it for the church. That's reason number one. He suffered for the church. Now let's set the context In the verses just before verse 24, Paul has explained to the Colossians about the doctrine of reconciliation. God has brought us to him. There's been peace with him. We looked at that last week. And then Paul closed that subject by stating that he was the one who proclaimed this message of reconciliation. Notice verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. And watch this. Which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, meaning the whole Roman Empire, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister, then immediately goes into verse 24 by saying, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In other words, yes, I am a minister of reconciliation. God has given me that ministry. I travel all around the Roman Empire telling people about Christ, but I'm not doing that now. He says in verse 24, now, that's how he begins verse 24, now, because at this present moment... I'm suffering in jail for your sake and I'm rejoicing in it. Do you see what he's saying? Yes, I'm a minister of reconciliation and yes, I travel around telling people how to be reconciled to God but now at this moment I'm not doing it. I'm in jail and I'm in jail for your sake and I rejoice in it. Now that's a heavy statement. That's a rather odd statement if you don't know the New Testament. Paul declared that he rejoiced in his sufferings. Doesn't that strike you as peculiar? How could anybody rejoice in their sufferings? More significantly, how can you rejoice in your sufferings? Well, we want to probe a little bit because if we can see why Paul rejoiced in his sufferings, then we can understand the key to rejoicing in our sufferings. He says, here's the key. He rejoiced because he understood that he was suffering for the sake of the church. Notice verse 24 again. Now I rejoice. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then he goes on to say, speaking more about that suffering, which we'll look at in a few moments. He says, but now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. That's the key. In other words, his suffering was with purpose. His suffering was noble. His suffering had meaning behind it. It wasn't random. It wasn't by accident. And it certainly wasn't because he was doing anything wrong. He was suffering for the sake of the church, benefiting God's people. You see, Paul was in Rome. You know why? You know why he was in Rome? specifically because of his efforts to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and to the Colossians, at least in that part of the world. He was in jail because he was out to build the church. And you know what landed him in jail? One word, Gentiles. Let me show you this. If you turn to Acts chapter 21. Paul was first arrested in Jerusalem. He had been told by prophets that if he went there, he would be put in chains. And Paul said, I'm willing to die for the sake of Christ. Don't tell me that kind of stuff and expect me to turn my back on the will of God. But his troubles began in Jerusalem. And I want you to see that it was related to that one word, Gentiles, meaning Gentiles in the church, Gentiles in the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 21 The chapter closes in verse 40, and when he had given him permission, Paul standing on the stairs motioned to the people with his hand, and when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, so the scene is this, Paul's been grabbed by people, and now he's been given by the government, he's been given the opportunity to address the crowd, and he speaks to them, not in Greek, but in the Hebrew dialect, because this was a Jewish crowd. And we look at chapter 22, verse 2, and when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, and we don't need to see all the things he said, except as you go to verse 21, he's explained his testimony. He's explained what he's doing there. And then he says in verses 21 and 22, this is the commission God gave him. And he said to me, go for, I will send you far away to, Uh uh-oh, to the Gentiles. He said this to a Jewish crowd, and in verse 22, they listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Kind of gives all you Gentiles a warm feeling, doesn't it? But that was their attitude. How dare this Hebrew think that God has commissioned him to go to the pagans And they said this man doesn't even deserve to live. So Paul, and really sometime later now, he's in jail in Rome just because of this. Because he dared to say that God had commissioned him to the Gentiles. Remember, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul found himself in Rome as a prisoner because he was obedient to God to preach the gospel to Gentiles like the Colossians. He was suffering for their sake. Now, what kind of suffering had Paul done? Because you might look at Acts chapter 28 and say, you know, wasn't that rough? I mean, he was under house arrest at that point. He was chained to a Roman soldier, but he had the freedom to have visitors. He could write. Obviously he did, or else we wouldn't have what we call prison epistles. But I want you to see that Paul's sufferings were far beyond being under house arrest. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let me show you what I mean. This is what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 Think of yourself suffering like this. He says, speaking of those who claim to be servants of Christ, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. And then he's going to say, look, let me show you that I'm a servant of Christ. Let me show you what I've gone through for the sake of Christ. In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and in exposure. Apart from such external things, I mean, he's just saying, and that's only the beginning. There is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Now listen to me very carefully. Paul was willing, he says, to be beaten, and he was beaten. He was willing to travel in dangerous areas, to be sleepless, to be without food, to be without water, to be cold, to be without much clothing, and why? Only because he was active in building the church of Jesus Christ, benefiting the church of Christ. And let me ask you this. Have you suffered lately for your ministry to the church? We don't often think about that, do we? How have you suffered lately for your ministry to the church? You say, what ministry? Exactly. Let me tell you something. Some of us think that we have suffered for the church when we have to drive in a lot of traffic to get here. Some of us think that we've suffered for the church because it was raining and we got wet. Give me a break think about that. What kinds of a wimpy Christianity, style of Christianity, have we settled for? Some of us really think that that's a great sacrifice because we drive on U.S. 19. Think about that in light of what Paul went through and ought to put us to shame. What spoiled, pampered American Christians we are. Listen, if you want to rejoice in suffering, then give your suffering some purpose and meaning. Do it. For the love of the church. We need to remember that the church is the body of Christ. Jesus loves the church. And he laid down his life for it and he calls us to suffer for it. And suffering for Christ involves suffering for his church. What has your ministry to this body cost you? Anything? Has it cost you energy? Has it cost you sleep? Has it cost you time? Has it cost you money? Has it cost you some inconvenience? It ought to. You ought to suffer for the church. I ought to suffer for the church. But some of us are just so spoiled we don't even think about that. Let's look at Second Timothy chapter two. Now this is Paul's last letter. We call Second Timothy his swan song because unlike the way the book of Acts closes, now he's in a dungeon in Rome awaiting word about his execution, and he would be executed after this. He would have his head chopped off, and he knew that was coming, but he wants Timothy to be motivated to carry on the torch. He wants Timothy to take the gospel and run with it. Don't dilute it. But he says that he has done what he has done and now Timothy needs to carry on the ministry. And he says in Second Timothy chapter two, verse three, I want you to suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That's what we are. We're soldiers of Christ Jesus. He says in verse 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. That's what it's about for us. You do what the commander says, and if it means suffering, then you suffer. But he says in verses 9 and 10, and this is really the heart of Paul. It ought to be our heart for which I suffer hardship even to the imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not in prison. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal life. Paul said, I know that God has elected some, and I am willing to suffer no matter what the consequences are that those who he has elected would come to know Christ. How different from some of us who have the view of God's election. Now look, if God has elected some, he's going to bring them to himself. He doesn't need me. Paul said, I'm willing to be a criminal for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those who God has chosen. Paul was willing to do that. Even today, you benefit from Paul's sufferings. You say, how's that? I've never known the man. Well, you have letters that he wrote while he was in prison. You have the example of a man who laid down his life for the sake of Christ for the sake of the truth, and you have an undiluted gospel, a pure gospel, because Paul would not compromise, and Paul was willing to suffer for the truth. You can thank God for the apostle Paul, and men and women like him who have suffered so that you might have the truth. See, joy in suffering only comes to those who are not self-centered. Paul said, I'm willing to be spent. I'm willing to die, if only for the sake of the elect." When you're self-centered you think obviously of only yourselves and you think that you have rights and you deserve better but someone who rejoices in suffering if you want to rejoice in suffering you must understand that you have no rights you have no claim to great circumstances life is not for a christian is not about being happy it's not about having that warm feeling we call peace it's about obedience to the will of god and if it involves suffering and it does then you ought to do it you need to be willing Your motto should be, Lord, anywhere, anytime, under any inconvenience for your sake. So Paul suffered for the sake of the church. But why? Why did he suffer so much? Why does someone have to suffer for the church? Why does someone suffer for the cause of Christ? Let's go back to Colossians chapter 1, because he goes on to explain. He doesn't just say, I'm suffering. He gives some theology behind that suffering, why he's suffering. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And he goes on to say, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, he explains it's the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, I'm interested in that last phrase. Look at that, how he ends verse 24. In filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What did Paul mean by that? What could possibly be lacking in the afflictions of Jesus Christ? I thought his death for us was sufficient. And before I tell you what Paul meant, let me tell you what he didn't mean. This is helpful for you. The Roman Catholic Church, you know how they interpret this phrase? The Roman Catholic Church interprets this phrase to mean that Christians must suffer in purgatory. You wonder where they get purgatory from. Part of the answer is they think it's this verse. They say that Christians must suffer in purgatory when they die because Christ's sufferings on the cross were not enough. They were not sufficient to cleanse us of all sin. There's got to be a part that you play. And so when you die, you have to suffer a little bit in purgatory, and hopefully the cleansing will be sufficient. Now, how do we know that that is not what this verse is saying? Let me give you some reason. Number one, it's just using your common sense and taking the Bible in context. Paul has just taught them what? That is the sufficient work of Christ that has just reconciled them to God. He's just spoken about that in verses 21 and 22. Let me read that to you again. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. He's just told them that the death of Christ brought about peace between you and God, that it was sufficient to turn your hostility into holiness He's not about to turn around and contradict himself two verses later. I mean, that's just common sense. That's number one. Number two, at his death, the Lord Jesus cried out, It is finished. Meaning that the debt for man's sin has been paid. You can't add anything to it. It's over with. It's finished. It's sufficient.
2: Have you ever thought about the fact that today we benefit from Paul's sufferings? I'd have to say I never thought about that. We have letters that he wrote while he was in prison, which we can read and apply to our lives. We have the example of a man who laid down his life for the sake of Christ, for the sake of truth. And we have an undiluted gospel, because Paul would not compromise. He was willing to suffer for the truth. That deserves a word of thanks to our Heavenly Father. If you would like to hear today's verse-by-verse broadcast again, please go to versebyverseradio.org and sign up for the podcast. That's versebyverseradio.org.